Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always with James from Gunner Blog. And James, I do believe that this is a goodly morning. Goodly morning. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I mean, wow, it's been a long time coming. Thought it that was feels a- like, I mean... Hello? Yeah, no, I, I thought you were doing a Robin Williams impression there. Good I was, I was morning, sort of, Vietnam! Yeah, it was kind of going to be that, half-hearted, you know. Um, but I, I it feel, I mean, there have been kind of goodly mornings along the way, but this one feels unequivocally goodly. Yes, it's well, what, the goodliest morning of the season so far, perhaps, which is a thing to say yeah. in, in October, but there you go. It's five goals goodly. Yeah, five goals goodly and a sad Ronald Koeman goodly as well, because I think that's something that we can all we can all get behind that. Whatever divides us these days, the world, there are so many things, but I think we can all get together and 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 uh, and acknowledge the fact that a sad Ronald Koeman sipping from his bottle of water, talking mournfully to the fourth official after the fourth Arsenal goal went in, is is very enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, he looks like a kind of sulking ventriloquist dummy. And uh, he's got all the classic hallmarks of a kind of bedraggled manager, hasn't he? he look, he's got, you know, I think he's even got a bit of kind of stubble on the face. He's not as well kept as usual. He's looking at the ground. He's grumpy. I mean, he can't be long for that job, surely now. No, no. I mean, he's got a head like a painted balloon, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. He does. He's a he's a, he, he's a papier mâché man, really. I mean, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I don't. I actually have always thought he was a decent coach. I mean, obviously, the last few months would would work against that. But I've never liked Ronald Koeman, especially given what until yesterday had been a pretty impressive record against Arsenal. So yeah, that's another reason to take some pleasure in it. Indeed, indeed. I always uh, I always thought he was a, a superb player. I liked him as a player, but as a manager, I found him really annoying. Without being one of those over the top kind of managers who's annoying, you know, the Mourinho, the Mark Hughes, the Allardyce, the Pulis, you know, he's he's a kind of a subtle annoying that you think, oh, mm. God, you know, he shouldn't be as annoying as he is, but he's actually more annoying than I think. And I believe I'm told that himself and Arsene Wenger, there's no love loss between them at all. So uh, I think the manager right. uh, will have taken some some real pleasure in yesterday, not simply from the result, but the fact that it was it was over Ronald Koeman as well. 
What is it that's so annoying about him? Is it the fact that his skin is the same colour as his hair? Is it the fact that the sort of conceit of believing that he's going to be Barcelona manager sooner rather than later? Like, what is it that, that annoys you about Ronald Koeman? I don't know. It's just, just something. I can't quite put my finger mm. on it. Um, I think it's something to do with the way that he talks. And maybe that's, right. you know, I, look, uh, foreign managers come over and like his English is far better than my Dutch. I'm not like here to cast aspersions, but I just think it's something to do with the way that he talks. And of course, the fact that his teams have frustrated us down the years, that's also a, that's also a part of it too. So uh, I'm glad that we hammered a nail Another nail into his Everton coffin yesterday. Whether it was the final nail, we'll have to wait and see. There was a brilliant moment late on. Did you see the um, the moment really late in the game? I think it could have been after Alexis Sanchez scored the fifth goal. And they cut to uh, Mashiri and Bill Kenwright, who are sitting in the stands. And, and they just have a, uh, a camera on them. And their reaction as the goal goes in and Bill Kenwright just closes his eyes and looks mournful and sad. Um, I enjoyed that too. Um, yeah. It is remarkable. I mean, they're making the the Spurs spending of the Gareth Bale money look prudent in the way that they've done business since uh, Lukaku left. And I mean, before we touch on Arsenal, we should just, I should just say that is a, a really a strangely assembled Everton team. Uh, it yeah. seems to have no pace, no width. Uh, yeah, I, I think you know they're really going to struggle until January when hopefully they can sort it out a bit. What do you mean, hopefully? <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, but yeah, I don't know why I said hopefully. Maybe I think there's going to be a new manager coming there who I who I like more than Kuman. I don't know. Yeah, okay, well, fair enough. Little soft spot for. Well, what do you think? Do you hope they lose all the games, or I don't I, know? I there hope... are teams I'd rather see relegated. Actually, sure, I get it, but I hope everyone loses all their games all the time. I don't, right. you know, I, I'm open to everybody losing at all times, unless, of course, it's Huddersfield playing uh, Manchester United, in which case I'm absolutely 100 percent behind Huddersfield. That was fantastic. Uh, that was, I think we're all on board with that. We, yeah. we really <laughs> are. We really are. Okay, well, look, let's go at it from an Arsenal point of view because, you know, we've been we've been dealing with some poor results and poor performances uh, throughout this season. And yesterday we saw the deployment of uh, Alexis Sanchez, Mesut Ozil, Alexandra Lacazette up front, and boy, oh boy, did it work. Were you, were you thinking that he was going to start Ozil? Or, or no. you thought I, he might start? I didn't be. think. Yeah, I did actually. I didn't think they would all play. I just felt like the the dots hadn't been connecting so far this season, and I thought there must have been reasons, perhaps underlying that. And I thought Iwobi has been in relatively good form, so I didn't think they would all start. But when they did, right from the kickoff, it was clear that there was a. I don't know, what was it? Like a kind of vigour about our attacking play that just hasn't been there for the majority of the season, really. Mm. And it's imp- it's impossible to separate that from the personnel who are out there. You know, sometimes football <laughs> can feel like a very simple game and we had our three best attackers on the pitch and suddenly we were a much <laughs> better attacking team. I was just going to say, imagine what happens when you put three really good players together uh, up front. It causes them problems. I mean, I think that, you know, you've got to give credit to the team as well for the way they started. There was a real energy about the way we began the game clearly the team selection I think 
was designed to take advantage of Everton's struggles at this moment in time, their defensive weaknesses and the uh, uh, the lack of assurance they've had, the poor results they've had. And he thought, well, fuck it, we'll go for it, you know, with Ozil, Alexis and, mm. and Lacazette. And look, we could have scored, a, what, two or three before the inevitable <laughs> the inevitable happened. But it was a, a superb start to the game and really, uh, really showcased what was to come for the rest of the performance, even if we had that little that little blip then when we went behind. Yeah, and in those first few minutes, what was absolutely immediately clear was that it felt like we were watching a, a different iteration of Mesut Ozil to what we've seen for the majority of the season. Uh, you know, the, the fleeting glimpses that we have seen. I mean, he, there was uh, there was just something about the way he was moving. He was so purposeful. Every pass seemed penetrative. And part of that is Everton's poor defending and lack of confidence. But he, I mean, he doesn't often look like this, but he did look like a man with something of a point to prove. Yeah, I mean, do you think... Uh, that that over the last number of weeks his his injury absence and and we can only assume that it was an actual injury that's been keeping him out of the team he hasn't really been playing very often uh, he's been restricted in terms of uh, how much he's played and that's that's been able to feed into the the doubts about his commitment this story mm-hmm. that went around about how he's told teammates he's signing for Manchester United whether you believe that or not is a different question it felt suspiciously timed uh, to me. Um, you know, is there a danger of immediately assuming the very, very worst about his situation and the Sanchez situation that in some ways has been dispelled yesterday by what we saw on the pitch, that when they're out there, these are guys that want to win, regardless of what's going to happen with their contracts in the future. When they're on the pitch, they want to win. And there was evidence of that yesterday in the way that both of them played. They were both superb and it was hard not to look at the way that they contributed and 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 think, well, what the fuck are we going to do without them? But, you know, it really showed what their quality can bring to this side. Yeah, and I think, you know, it doesn't necessarily dispel entirely the idea that Mesut Ozil might go to Manchester United or would like to go to Manchester United. I think what it does is shows that in the meantime, you know, that situation is kind of out of our hands. But in the meantime, if we do pick him, he can produce. And I think what was so good about this performance from his perspective is that he did it away from home as well which has been something that's Mm. been levelled at him in the past he doesn't necessarily produce as often away from home and we saw him left out of the Chelsea match this season he went to Goodison I know it's not quite the same thing and really dominated this game albeit with support from uh, Lacazette and Alexis and maybe there was an extent to which you know the players aren't stupid they know that that They've been, you know, Lacazette's probably been waiting to play with those guys. Mesut Ozil's probably thought, you know, I've been waiting for a centre forward like this at Arsenal for four years. Now suddenly I get the opportunity to to play with one, mm. and maybe they just were collectively out to make a point and out to make a positive impression. And they certainly did that until, as you say, we we managed to fall behind. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, you know, it's it's Arsenal. We are Arsenal. We do things the Arsenal way, and that was a very Arsenal event, wasn't it? You know, if you had to pick anybody out of that Everton team who was going to score a goal yesterday, it was going to be Wayne oh. Rooney. Uh, and given the way that this season has gone, if someone was going to make a mistake for the goal, it was going to be Granit Xhaka. I mean, do do you have any sympathy mm. for him in the way that he was caught on the ball there? I mean, it was a a pass into him from Permer to. San he was, I won't say surrounded, but it, he didn't have a great deal of space. His touch, though, was heavy. It allowed Gay to get in there and, and make a tackle. Foul for you or not? 
I think it, I think it might have been. I mean, there was an incident in the second half. I don't know if you remember it, where Aaron Ramsey made kind of an identical yes. tackle on yeah. an Everton player, and there was a turnover in possession, and the referee blew up. And it, it, to me, it looked really the same. I think it probably was a foul because mm. um, he kind of came through him to to get the ball. But uh, you know, I, I still think that there are question marks over Shaka's awareness in that situation. You know, I still think that kind of almost before the foul's committed, he he's in a dangerous position because of the nature of the touch he's taken and because he doesn't seem aware of of where Gay is. So yeah. um, it, it's a bit of both for me. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I thought it was a little bit of both. Uh, you know, if it had been a, if a foul had been given, I wouldn't have batted an eyelid. Had it happened up the other end, as we saw with Ramsey, you know, the referee gave a foul. It was almost identical as well, and you could see Ramsey asking the referee the question. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it, I, I wondered about Jacka after that incident because he can't be unaware of the fact that he's been. Not at fault. Well, I guess at fault for a couple of goals this season. Some poor play from him, and this is another one. And I was, I was curious to see what kind of reaction he would have to that because I could see people on Twitter who were screaming, you know, get him off, get him off. Um, I thought there was probably something to his reaction that was positive. You know, he had a fairly assured game. Not all his passing yeah. came off, but he kept his head up. He didn't let it, didn't let it affect him too negatively. But I think there is a real issue there in terms of how he can play in that deep area just in front of the back four, particularly when he's facing his own goal. I think there are issues with his awareness, as you say. But I think we've got some questions on Jack a bit later on, so we might come to those. Rooney scored, 1-0 down, and you're thinking, OK, well, here we go. This is this is very Arsenal. And it took us a while to get the goal that I think our play deserved. Jack involved. It was his shot from outside the box, which was... Uh, which was uh, saved by Pickford, but Nacho Monreal, what a guy, what a guy. What a guy. I mean, I have to say, when that ball hit the net, oh, I know I'm going to sneeze imminently, let's see what happens, but uh, <laughs> when that ball hit the net, I it flashed in, and it was one of those where I wasn't clear who'd scored for quite a few seconds. Mm. I uh, I was like looking around, like, who's put that in? You know, because it was a really good finish, really instinctive, really powerful, gave the keeper, you know, he got to it, but he couldn't keep it out. And when it turned out to be Monreal, I was thoroughly unsurprised because he's the kind of guy who does come through for you in those moments. Not always as a goal scorer, but uh, yeah, I mean, hard not to love him. Hard not to love him, even given what happened later on in the game. Yeah, okay. I think we can uh, forgive him what happened later in the game because it was, you know, his his telling contribution was to get us back into it not long before half time, um, mm. And, you know, I think if we had... <sighs> more players with that kind of uh, passion I don't want to say but just that he's got real drive Monreal he's always yeah. looking to to make something happen even if he is playing uh, at centre half um, you know he's just a well, fantastic he, he's a fantastic professional he really is he he is a centre-half and he's ended up there inside the opponent's penalty box, you know, following up, reacting first before any defender, before any other attacker to get to a rebound and stick it in the net. I mean, that tells you everything about him, really. And uh, he's having another very, very good season. He really has mm. found such a natural home in that position on the, the left-hand side of the back three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, look, 1-1 uh, at half-time and, you know, there were still some moments from Everton. I think it was quite interesting that our second goal came when we snuffed out an Everton attack. They got down the the right-hand side. Kolasinac got, uh, I think, beaten by whoever was playing down there. I don't think it was Calvert-Lewin. I enjoyed that bit. Did you enjoy that bit when 
Calvert-Lewin was in a sort of a race with Monreal. They both went tumbling and he got a boot in the face. Accidental, purely accidental, but it served him right for, for that little nudge that sent Monreal into the stands. Yeah, absolutely. I did enjoy that because that nudge was, uh, you know, we, was it Matthew Dabushi we saw injured in kind of similar mm. fashion? Was it Arnautovic gave him the yeah. the shove into the stands? And and I I wonder if that was in Monreal's mind because the way he jumped up, he absolutely knew, didn't he, that yeah. he, someone just attempted to do him there. And uh, I think it was an appropriate reaction because it was a very, very cynical foul. From, yeah, sure from was. There was one There was one a few uh, a couple of years ago as well at Norwich. If you remember that Alexis oh, yeah. got pushed into the... Uh, uh, into the, the there was like a camera pit Hordings. there. Yeah, no, it was a camera pit. Oh yeah, the pit, camera pit. That's you know, right. and that could have yeah. been really dangerous. And I do think that 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 challenge, that little shove, deserved a yellow card from the referee. Not just a talking to, and I don't know why he was really talking to Monreal about it. Monreal had every right to get upset there, but you know, a bit of karma when he got a he got a boot in the nose um, from Monreal. So that that was good. <laughs> but anyway, w- one of their attacks forwards uh, resulted in what was a a fantastic goal for Arsenal. That second goal, moving the ball through midfield down the left hand side, Alexis Sanchez. And um, Mesut Ozil with the header, not unlike the goal that he scored against Watford last season. Very similar in some respects, yeah. Um, and I, this was a fantastic move. I mean, first of all, it involved all of that front three. It was, uh, you know, Lacazette picked the ball up kind of on the halfway line. He then played a one-two with Ramsey, found Alexis and his cross for Ozil. But also, if you watch it back... Meza Ozil, I think we we clear the ball from our own penalty area, and Ozil plays a pass right from the edge of his own box, mm. and it's a really good pass too. It's it's a you know it's not conservative. He plays a pass. I think it's to Lacazette maybe or Lacazette. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's just a good firm pass, and he then embarks on a run, which takes him the entire length of the pitch, and to be honest, the way he nods it in so nonchalantly after good movement in the area it's like he's barely broken sweat mm. but he's led a fantastic counter-attack and I know it's been a kind of a personal bugbear of yours well not just personal I think we've all kind of felt it but I know it's something I've seen you write about about how inefficient we have been in those situations this season and this was one of the examples where it's a little bit of quality a little bit of careful thought and you see how explosive and damaging we can be on the yeah. break yeah, absolutely. I mean, the third goal as well. I just tweeted something about, you know, are there stats for how many counterattacks we mess up and then we go on the counter and score the third. But, you know, there was a moment in the in the first half where we broke through midfield. Ramsey had the ball and Lacazette made a brilliant run just inside uh, left of, of Ramsey. All he had to do was slip the ball through to him and he didn't even see it. He didn't even seem aware of it. And he went right. It ended up with Ramsey creating a chance for Lacazette from close range. Pickford came out to make a, a save. But had he played the ball inside left into Lacazette, I think we would have scored earlier. So, you know, the decision making uh, when we do come forward and when we do have these counterattacks is so, so important. And I do hope that mm. there is some measure of... Uh, post-game analysis, some video, somebody uh, sitting down with Aaron Ramsey and sitting down with the players and saying, look, you know, when you're in those positions, have a look because we now have that striker. Maybe it's this thing where we're we're expecting... Um Olivier Giroud to be there, that he's not going to be able to go through on goal. Whereas if you play that pass to Lacazette, he's through. Defender's not going to catch him and he's got the ability to finish as he as he showed with the uh, the third goal. Uh, Alexis playing Ozil down the right-hand side, uh, a cut back into the middle and Lacazette showed what perhaps Ramsey should have done a few minutes earlier. Koscielny had set up Ramsey for a shot which he skied over the bar, but the finish was just perfect. You know, you had no... 
worries whatsoever that when the ball came to him, it was doing anything but ending up in the net. Yeah, he's so cool in those situations. Again, it's that front three combining. I think Alexis's pass through to Ozil was really good. Uh, perfectly weighted pullback from Ozil. And Lacazette just does that classic strikers thing. I, we saw Thierry Henry do it so many times where he's darting into the box, but then he just holds his position. Yeah. It gives him that bit of space, first time, inside of the foot, lovely curled finish. And I think that's probably quite a big moment for Lacazette, who had scored at the Emirates Stadium, I think, was it you know four times, and was looking for that away goal, been a bit unlucky on a couple of occasions. He's got that monkey off his back now, and I think that will hopefully give him confidence going into the next away trip. Yeah, interestingly, he, he took him off not long afterwards, Arsene Wenger. Yeah, of course, of I, course he did. I do wonder if there is something going on in terms of his fitness or if he is really really being cautious with him. You know, we, we don't know if he's carrying some kind of a knock or anything, but, you know, he's got to start getting 90 minutes under his belt. But look, on a day when we've won 5-2, that's that's nitpicking. He brought on Jack Wilshire and Wilshire, uh, you know, slotted in very easily because we were playing against 10 men at that point uh, after the red card. Uh, you know, they can have no complaints about that red card either. No, no, definitely not. And I mean, you know, it was Gay who made the tackle for the opening goal, which may have been a foul. So uh, no complaints from us at all. And, and he put in plenty of tackles. And, you know, I, again, like, we'll come back to Xhaka, but despite his mistake early on, he was relatively disciplined from that point on. He could have lost his head at that point. He didn't. Gay was just a bit over-enthusiastic with his tackling and had to go. Mm. So it made space. Obviously, we had more chances to score goals. I think Xhaka hit the bar with a shot from outside the box. Alexis Sanchez, a diving header just wide. Um, and 4-1 in uh, as the game went into injury time. Wilshire to Ramsey. Ramsey made no mistake. Then we have the uh, the, the, the fuck-up at the back um, between Monreal and, and Czech. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a good back pass from Monreal and Czech wasn't even looking. So it was a, it was no, a and, bit and, of a disaster. And also, I feel like... I feel like maybe it was coming a little bit. It'd been something I'd noticed earlier in the game that Everton were really trying to press check uh, in possession. And, you know, there'd been a couple of slightly iffy clearances, you know, under pressure. Well, he did get caught, um, didn't he, earlier in the game? There was one yeah. where he was, he was caught on the ball and got away with it, in fairness. So, yeah. Mm. So it was something they were obviously had been, you know, looking at. Uh, but it was, uh, it was, I mean, I think it's just an, a lack of concentration from both players who probably thought the game, I mean, somewhat understandably thought the game was dead. That will be the one downside for Arsene Wenger is that the goals we did concede were so sloppy. I guess in his mind, maybe he'll go, well, those are individual errors. Those can be ironed out. You know, mm. They're not structural issues. Uh, time will tell, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a chance. I was really looking for us to score more because we, we've got goal difference issues and goal difference could be important this season. So I wanted us to to score as many goals as we as we possibly could, really turn the screw on Everton. Uh, you know, when we're, we're on top, the game is won. They're disillusioned there, uh, demoralised, you know, really go for it and score a couple more in the last few minutes. To be fair, we got the goal from Alexis not long uh, after they had scored, so it did sort of add the gloss back again to the scoreline. A bit annoying to concede those two goals, but I really think the, the issue yesterday, for me, the important thing was how are that front three going to work together? Can they work together? Are they going to be effective? And I think when you score five goals and they're involved in five of those goals, then, uh, you know, the answer is a resounding yes. And that, for me, is much more a positive than the negatives um, that we just spoke about in terms of conceding. 
Yeah, and I, I think, you know, ultimately uh, you, you want to watch a team play attacking football and Arsenal have kind of lacked an attacking identity for a little bit of time now. And Obviously, I think it would be overstating it to say, well, now, as long as we play Alexis, Sozal and Lacazette together, everything will be fine. Because there's also that slight worry of how long, you know, will that we, we will we even be able to do that? It might only be a couple of months. You know, the January transfer window is only around the corner. Mm. But uh, it's, you know... It's going to be, hopefully, it, it's just a little bit of hope, isn't it? It's a little bit of, well, actually watching this team could be pretty fun, you know, if, if they can get their act together, that trio. Yeah, I mean, I think what we have to look at is, can they, or how much can they offset the defensive issues that we are going to have? Like, I, yeah. I don't think that there's any solution or any quick solution to our defensive issues right now, to be honest. Certainly not with this back three. I don't know if anybody has been uh, looking at the tweets that uh, Orbino has been sending out about our back three and about our defensive frailties with a back three. It boils down, results aside, we are a more defensively stable side with a back four. Um, and, you know, I come back to wanting, wanting us to go to a back four again and having the extra man in midfield because I do think that could... Uh, mitigate some of our defensive weaknesses. But if you've got a front three like that, with that kind of movement, with that kind of quality, with the finishing, with the the creativity, I mean, both Alexis and Ozil are, are fantastic creators. Uh, Alexis can score goals. Ozil can score goals. We know what Lacazette is there for. He's a finisher. You know, if we can keep them and build some momentum with them, it might just make... It might just make this season interesting because I think there's a lot of goals in that front three. Yeah, there's probably enough goals in there to to at least give us a chance of offsetting those defensive problems. And I think you're right. You know, why would those suddenly disappear after a decade or whatever it has been? Um, but that's that's the best front three on paper I can remember seeing at Arsenal for a long time, a mm. long time. I, I don't know how far back you'd have to go, but to see three players of that caliber. Um, it is exciting. It is exciting. And then the other thing about them is it's not just any three players. It's not just three players thrown together. There is kind of a natural balance between that three. You know, you can see Ozil is a more of a playmaker type. Alexis, a kind of a wide forward, a dribbler. Lacazette, a finisher with movement and skills that complement the other two. Yeah. There is a... It's an intriguing cocktail and a nice balance. So it, it, it looks as if it might just work and... Uh, that is exciting. It's nice to have something to be excited about. Yeah, and look, I think the other thing as well is that he can keep them relatively fresh. We've got a game tomorrow night against Norwich in the Carabao Cup and none of those players should be playing in it. I don't think they will be playing in it. I'm just looking at Twitter here and the Arsenal under-23s are playing Spurs today and there isn't really anybody in that under-23 side. Um, you know, some of the, the, the more well-known names, they're all going to be playing in the Carabao Cup tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. We've got Swansea, then we've got Red Star Belgrade at home and again, you're looking at playing your Europa League side, you know, bringing in Walcott, bringing in Giroud, bringing in Iwobi, maybe another game for for Jack Wilshire, who is, I think, pressing for a uh, first-team uh, inclusion in the Premier League, but we've got to remain relatively cautious with him, I think. Um, you know, players like El Elneny, um, you know, it's 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 going to be relatively easy for him to keep them fresh at this moment in time. And if he can keep them fresh and let them build up this understanding that they seem to have already... Um, 
Ozil was talking about it in the post-game uh, interview, you know, that uh, despite the fact it's the first time they've started together, you know, they're training together all the time. So they look like they're on the same wavelength. And if they can keep that going, then I think this it's not quite a lifeline. You know, you look at the league table, where are we? We're in... I should look this up beforehand, shouldn't I? But we are probably in yeah. fifth or sixth and we're on... Fifth, I believe. Right, yeah. we're in fifth and we are level on points with Chelsea, you know, so we're still a, a good way behind Manchester City, but that's, I think, a different... Uh, that's a different issue. Um, so it's not like we're, we're clinging on, but, uh, you know, I think this could be the thing that, that drags us back into, if not the title challenge, certainly that scrap for top four. Yeah, I mean, look, if you think of... There have been a couple of Liverpool teams down the years going back to, you know, when they had Sterling Suarez and uh, Sturridge up front. They couldn't really defend, but they had a really electric front three and it was kind of enough for them to run people pretty close for the title until some hilarious slips took it away from them. Yeah, And, you know, I think that the three players we're talking about are definitely in that bracket in terms of ability. So hopefully they can keep it together. And, you know, this question of Ozil and Sanchez and what does their future hold... You know, we, we we have to try and put that on the back burner. We cannot we cannot write off this season really and write off potentially our two best players, you know, so early when that we've got these games mm. that we have to win. And I think if they can help us achieve Champions League football uh, between now and May, we will be in a much better position to replace them than we otherwise would. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can't take the moral high ground here. You can't say, well, if you don't want to play for Arsenal, fuck off and we'll play somebody else. Like if we're playing with the greatest of respect, if we're playing a Wobie and Walcott in those two wide positions yesterday, I don't think the result would be anywhere near the same. Um, so we have to we have to accept the fact that these two guys, even if they are going to leave, are superb players, high quality players who can make the difference in games like yesterday, but also, uh, you know, maybe games uh, against the bigger sides. Um, so yeah, you just can't you just can't say no, you're not playing, or we shouldn't play you. Um, it does bring into stark contrast or stark relief what we're going to do without them or how we're going to do it without them or what we'll miss when they're gone. But while we have them, I think we've got to use them. Yeah, absolutely. That is a question, you know, it's kind of a problem of our own making and it is a problem for another day. Our problem recently has been winning football matches, especially away mm. from home. And we managed to find a solution yesterday, so let's, let's enjoy it. Yes, 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 let's. Um, what else? Anything else uh, strike you from the game or the weekend? Um, did you watch Did you watch uh, Liverpool and Tottenham? I saw bits and pieces. I mean, Simon Mignolet is really getting away with it. Well, not getting away with no, it, but not. being terribly exposed at the, at the heart of that Liverpool defence. Um, no, I mean, I'm a bit worried that Spurs managed that at their kind of cursed ground. The curse appears to have been lifted, which mm. uh, is bad news, bad news for us all. It's almost um, as if there isn't any such thing as a curse. Hush now, I, I won't hear such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know if I noticed anything else particularly. I guess, you know, another manager, you know, Ronald Koeman, heading towards the exit and surely Slavin Bilic too I mean mm. they've given him two games to turn it around but one of those is against Chelsea so I can't see him lasting too long but well, uh, yeah. yeah we'll see yeah I think the um, 
I think the uh, the Huddersfield game was particularly enjoyable. I watched that mm. on, on Saturday um, and seeing a, a completely soaked to the skin, very unhappy Jose Mourinho brought light and sunshine to my Saturday afternoon, I have to say. So, uh, so that was good. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's... Uh, it's difficult to look at this Premier League and not look at Manchester City and think, fuck, they're so good. Yeah. They're so good. You know, know. what have they scored? 32 goals in nine games and conceded just four. Um, you know, it's, it's absurd. A go- goal difference of 28 after nine games into the season. It is pretty crazy. I mean, you know... The- He's got. He seems to have got it right now, Guardiola. I mean, the the only word of caution would be that they started. Uh, it was the first six games, wasn't it, last season? I think they absolutely flew out of the blocks and then stumbled a bit. But they don't look like stumbling. And United, you know, have dropped a few points now that they've had a couple of well, seemingly not that tough games. But they lost at Huddersfield and they they drew uh, at Anfield. City just keep on going and. Yeah, I, I mean it's early, but it would take something quite extraordinary to stop them winning the league this mm. season. I think. I agree. I agree. Uh, very quickly, we've got a Norwich game tomorrow night in the Carabao Cup. Um, mm-hmm. He's going to ring the changes clearly. Um, we might see, we might see Matt Macy play a game. Will he play Petr Cech in the Carabao Cup? I'm not sure that he can, or should risk his yeah, uh, his first choice goalkeeper because Ospina is out injured. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we could, we could see a, a chance for, again, Wilshire, Giroud, Wobie, Walcott, you know, some strong, uh, strong first-team experience, but also a good mix of youth in there too. Yeah, I mean, it'll be a similar lineup, won't it, to the ones that we've seen in the Europa League, I think. So do you think he'll try and throw a couple of more youngsters in there just to kind of give them that opportunity that he might not afford them in, in Europe? Uh, I don't know who... To be honest, I mean, I think he's going to yeah. play the same system, isn't isn't he? So he's going to play Maitland-Niles and Nelson at wing-back. Maybe he'll play, you know, he could play Coquelin, Elneny in, in central midfield. He might need Elneny mm. as, as a centre-half, given, centre our, half, given our issues there. Um, he's got Willock maybe in central midfield then yeah. to, to step in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it'll be a team led by kind of the likes of Giroud, Walcott. I think Alex Awobi's got, you know, is quite likely to play. Yeah. Look, it's a team that should be strong enough to beat Coventry. And my only slight frustration is as good as it is for Nelson and Maitland-Niles to get this game time under their belt, uh, I would love to see them play in their proper positions, you know, because Mm. I I just don't think we're seeing the best of them. But, you know, Arsenal's got a track record of doing this, of of squeezing players into the team where he can and before eventually blooding them in their preferred role. So maybe those guys have got to go through that process too. Well, yeah, exactly. I think it's good experience for them um, all in all. And uh, if they can beat Coventry on on Tuesday night, they'll they'll be doing very well because we're playing Norwich. Um, ah, well, if they... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I've even got Coventry. We did play Coventry, I think, last season at some point. Yeah, we, we played Please Coventry in, in just... the past. Uh, in the 90s. In the 90s, we played... Darren Huckabee was there. Darren remember? Huckabee, that's right. Yeah, Craig. did Craig Bellamy play for Coventry? I don't know. Robbie Keane did. He did briefly, didn't he? And did you he? might be confusing your annoying small strikers... I'm going to have to look this up. I don't know. Craig Bellamy, did he play for Coventry? I don't know why I have it in my head that he did. He did. He did play for Coventry in 2000 to 2001. So there you go. He also played for Norwich City. So there is that weird link. There you go. 
That must be it. It that was I had Craig it. Bellamy on the brain. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. So happy. So happy. This is fantastic. So happy. Fantastic. The fans so happy. This is fantastic. So happy. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Uh, just before we get into the questions, just want to remind Gunners down under that I'm going to be there uh, starting this week. I'm going to be at the Sports Writers Festival in Melbourne and in Sydney in Melbourne, I think on the 29th of October uh, and Sydney on the 4th of November. You can get details of that on sportswritersfestival.com.au. That's where you get tickets and details of the event. So do check it out. It'll be great to see some of you there. That's sportswritersfestival.com.au. I did a I did a podcast, James, this morning already with uh, yeah. Gunners Down Under, and they asked me, what what's the thing you're looking forward to most? Any idea? Mm. Uh, no, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean... Uh, Tell me, what are you looking forward to most? A game of knifey spoony. <laughs> <laughs> the national sport. The national sport, of course. So yeah, that's that's going to yeah. be great. That's going to be great. No, it's, I'm really looking forward to being there. Um, not so much getting there, but being there is going to be great. So, uh, uh, have if, you ever been before? No, I've never been. I've never been, and I'm, I'm getting all kinds of uh, recommendations. Uh, Andrew Allen, who does uh, Rsblog News with me, his brother lives in Melbourne, mm. so I've got a list of things to do and see and places to eat and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I don't think I'll get around to all of them. But no, I'm really, really looking forward to it. It should be should be fun. The only thing that I would say just to give people a heads up is that because of the time zone differences and the fact that I'm traveling Wednesday, I get to Melbourne, I think Thursday evening, Melbourne time. Um, and then there's some need to do some kind of a podcast for Friday. I'm not sure what kind of a podcast that's going to be 
or if I'm going to be able to do one. I am bringing a microphone with me, so I should be able to get something together, but it's just trying to work my head around the time zones and can I organize chats with people or what the hell am I going to do for Friday? I don't know. So if there is no podcast on Friday, please bear with me. It's because, you know, my whole life has been turned upside down. I don't know what day or time it is, Uh, but I will do my best. I promise. Literally upside down, the other side of the world. Mm. Uh, Well, it's very exciting. Have a great time. I will do my best. So look, let's get on to the, <laughs> let's get on to the questions. Um, right, uh, quick, uh, lots uh, lots of them about Granite Xhaka. Uh, yeah, West End so West Antone wants to know: Would you drop Xhaka for Jacka with immediate effect? That's obviously a nice little play on Jack Wilshire there. And uh, Liam Quigley, who's at Liam J Quigley, goes. Is Xhaka's lingering on the ball something he can be coached out of, or is he just not good enough for the pace of the Premier League? Um, mm. And uh, Matt Gunnar Knight asks, uh, he's at Matt Knight 1983. I like Xhaka, but is there a faster, more mobile, more defensive player who has uh, similar distribution qualities that we could acquire in January? So lots and lots of questions about Granit Xhaka. Yeah, I mean, the questions, are, you know, they've, they've been ramping up over the past few weeks, really. Um, they kind of reached a fever pitch at the weekend when he made that particular error. It's so hard, isn't it? Because Shaka's perennially being compared by Arsenal fans with Santi Cazorla. And I do feel like that is a, a very... <laughs> no one looks good in that light, you know. Mm. I mean, that's that skill of receiving the ball with your back to goal fainting one way, spinning the other. That's what makes Cazorla so remarkable in that position and why, you know, it was not obvious to make him a holding midfielder, but his ability to dribble out of pressure and to, you know, Mm. work in tight spaces is so unique. I mean, very few players in the Premier League have that kind of capability. With Shaka, he does seem to get caught, though. You know, I mean, I think you can be a more limited player, but a more conservative player who takes less risks. I think Shaka does take risks and I think that that can lead to his weaknesses being exploited Um, if that's something that can be coached out of his game I don't know he has been here over a year now and those pretty much seem relatively consistent so maybe if it can be coached out of his game maybe he hasn't got the coach to do it Mm. I mean you don't have to be super quick to not get caught on the ball you know I mean Fabregas was never quick but he had this ability to be able to look up before he received the ball and see what was around him and what was what was coming on top of him, if you like, who was going to be up his arse in terms of the opposition. He had the ability to do that. I'm not sure Xhaka does. Um, you know, a couple of times I think he's been a little bit unlucky in the sense that he has been, and is quite often if you look at it, he's played, I won't say played into trouble, by his teammates, but he's played passes where it's not simple. It's not always easy for him um, that he's given. There was one, I think, yesterday where we we took a throw in maybe and we threw it infield and it was a high bouncing ball for him to take and he dealt with it well enough. But if, he, if he'd been caught on it, you could say, okay, he should have done better, but also don't necessarily put him in that position. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I think there are improvements that he could make, and it's to do with concentration. It's to do with awareness of where his teammates are and awareness of where the, of where the opposition are. And he has been a bit unlucky in that every time he's made one of these mistakes, we've been punished this season. There's been a ruthlessness to the opposition. But I think you have to expect that at Premier League level, regardless of who you're playing. If you give the ball up in the final third, chances are you're going to get punished one way or the other. So... It'll be yeah. interesting to see. I mean, I mean yeah, Wilshire for Xhaka. Maybe in a few weeks. I'm not quite sure Wilshire's ready for 90 minutes um, week in, week out in the Premier League just yet. I think he might need just a bit more time to get up to, to that kind of match fitness. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what Wilshire does have that Xhaka maybe doesn't is that kind of... That peripheral vision, you know, that ability. It, you really do need a 360 perspective on, on what's going on around you. Uh, and you, you're right. You don't necessarily need to be the most skillful player or the quickest player. I mean, think of somebody like Gilberto Silva who played at the base of that Arsenal midfield. I, you know, obviously there might be a bit of rose-tinted spectacles happening here, but mm. I don't remember him being caught on the ball in the same fashion. And you wouldn't describe him as necessarily the most agile player he was just hyper aware of mm. what was around him and he was a little bit technically limited occasionally you know he wasn't exactly Cazorla but he but he still could survive in that area my, my one thing about Wilshire is that you know his best performances this season have come in that more advanced role and even yesterday when he came off the bench I thought he did really well I thought it was a really good cameo from Wilshire but it was playing off Alexis as part of that front three and I don't know if Arsene Wenger necessarily sees him as someone who can play in that that deeper role anymore. I think yeah. he's looking to use him further up the field. So I think this is a problem that might have to be solved uh, in the transfer market rather than with an internal solution. Right. Well, I mean, in the meantime, there is a there is a the option. I mean, if you want to get Wilshire in the team, you could probably get him in the team alongside Xhaka if you wanted. If you go to a back four and you put the extra man in midfield and you use Wilshire as perhaps a, a number 10, which is clearly where Arsene Wenger is is looking at him at this moment in time. Maybe he doesn't feel he has the legs or the stamina or the physicality at this moment in time to play a deeper lying midfield role. There is that possibility. It also gives you more options in midfield, doesn't it? So you're not necessarily uh, always looking to Xhaka with his back to the opposition or is facing his own goal when you're looking to play that wall pass you've got other passes in there so that that could be a way of dealing with Xhaka's limitations in that regard and also getting Wilshire into the side so yeah it'll, it'll be interesting to see what he does here uh, you know the other options are Elneny Coquelin functional players but mm. maybe not you know, the guys that you need in, in big games or the guys that can provide some of the stuff that Xhaka does provide. Uh, you know, he he's he does have qualities. It's just that we're seeing too many of his weaknesses at this moment in time. Yeah, look, he, he you know, his passing accuracy hasn't been what it was last season, no. but he can play some, some excellent balls from deep. And when he's, you know, when he's facing uh, the play, he's, he's great. It's just that when, you know, when he's got his back to to the opposition that he he does seem to be exposed uh, but that is an important part of playing in that mm. position especially in this Arsenal team you know we are so used structurally to going from the centre halves through mm. to the holding midfielder and kind of working from there um, I, I personally would be tempted to give Wilshire a go in that position I just like you I think that the way Arsene Wenger's using him suggests that there might be a physiological thing that's making him think this guy needs to be higher up the field. Yeah. Um, 
and, and, and you know, that, that might be what holds Arsene back from making that switch because at this stage... I think it is worth a try. I think we've got more to gain than we than we do to lose. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you can't blame the manager for being cautious with Jack Wilshire. Like, if no. he played Jack Wilshire two games in a row or three games in a row, and he picked up an injury, everyone would say, "Well, what the fuck did you do that for?" You know what Wilshire's like. He, he, he you've got to manage him better than that. So I can understand the way that he's using Wilshire. The other thing I'd like to wonder, or I'd like to wonder, I'd like to find out is. If there's a correlation between Xhaka's uh, passing stats being less impressive and our move to a back three, that it feels mm. to me since we moved to a back three, he's been more exposed in midfield. He has been uh, very often isolated. I can't remember, or I've lost count rather, of how many times you, you see Xhaka pick up the ball and he looks for a pass and there's literally nobody to pass to beyond a wall of the opposition, that they're all the far side of the opposition. He rarely or doesn't have the the simple pass as often as he should have. And again, that's why I think a three-man midfield might be the way to go to try and uh, deal with these issues that we have at this moment in time. So, Yeah, I'd be interested to see it. I'd be interested to see it. I... Uh... I, you know, Arsene Wenger's had plenty of opportunities this season to use a back four, and he's stuck with a back three. He seems pretty wedded to it at the moment, but uh, it's something I'd like him to try at some stage. Um, but mm. I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not optimistic about that. I don't think he's going to do it. Okay. Um, let's have another question. This is from Gary Gallagher on Twitter, who's at asking too few, and he says. Does Alexis stifle Kolasinac's attacking threat? Sanchez cuts in, rarely looking for overlap out wide. Good question. I mean, I don't think we have a big enough sample size to say with any certainty whether that's mm. a, an issue or not. Uh, there were a number of times yesterday where Kolasinac went down the, the left-hand side and Alexis came inside, as he does. He does like to do that, as we know, Um there is enough variety in his game, I think, to to use the overlap option uh, a bit. I mean, he's looked a little bit um, out of sorts in the last couple of games, Kolasinac, in that he's probably just coming back from an injury and that kind of glow of being the new boy and everybody loving you has worn off just a little bit as well. So, I don't know. We have to see them work together a bit. I mean, again, part of what makes this uh, three-at-the-back formation work from an attacking point of view is how much you can get out of your wingbacks. Um, so, it, it it looks like a combination that should be fine to me because Kolasinac is a really good passer of the balls. You know, he, he, he helped create the fifth goal yesterday, a lovely little ball over the top, which Ramsey uh, clipped into the path of Alexis. And, of course, he went on and did the rest. So... It's not that he's not contributing, but perhaps perhaps when you have someone like Alexis there, the need for him to provide stuff in the final third isn't as great as it is when he's not there. Right. Yeah, that's fair, actually, I suppose. There's a bit less onus on him. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Alexis's tendency to drift in field impedes Kolasinac in any way. I mean, that's not a new thing in this Arsenal team. You know, a left-sided player who would prefer to be more central, it goes right back to, you know, Robert Pires drifting in with Ashley Cole on the overlap. Mm. It, it, it sometimes can create space on that overlap out wide for the full-back or wing-back to exploit. I, I just think that you're you're absolutely right that Kolasinac has actually just had not a great couple of games, to be honest, and, you know, he's having a, his first ever his first little dip since he arrived at Arsenal. Um but I don't think it's anything to particularly worry about yet. And I actually think 
that that could be a really strong partnership mm. on that side, given time, given the players be firing on all cylinders, being at full fitness, and developing that understanding. You know, which is the real key to it, isn't it? You know that they they learn those automatisms, as Perman Saka would say, and and get that understanding going. I think, you know, on paper. It looks really exciting. Yeah. Okay, well, look, here's a question from Gerald Yu on Facebook. He says, I have a problem with Czech. I really think his time is over. His performances are nowhere close to his prime when he was at Chelsea. Can we talk about him? We can talk about him. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I mean, look, yesterday wasn't a great day. For Petr Cech, uh, in that he, you know, he was involved in a big error and the concession of an unnecessary goal. But I have to say, I think this season, partly due to necessity, he's been pretty decent. I think he's mm. been he's been tested. He's made some good saves. I think comparing him to his Chelsea days, it's almost invalid, really. I mean, look what happened to William Gallas when he moved from Chelsea to Arsenal. Czech played behind such a miserly defence, a team that was structured around a strong defence, so organised, so well drilled. You know, I think he was an excellent goalkeeper and he was part of that unit, but I think he was very protected as well. But I actually, I've been pleased with his form this season. Uh, I do think there's a big discussion to be had around him in terms of the succession. You know, what are we going to do at the end of the season when David Espina is presumably going to leave? What kind of goalkeeper do we bring in? But for the time being, and for this season certainly, given the other options at our disposal, I think Czech is, is justifiably the number one. I agree. I mean, I think he's, apart from when the ball's at his feet, I think he's been really solid this season. He's mm-hmm. made good saves. He's been he's been unshowy in his, uh, in his performances, but he's been quite dominant there have been games where he's come and he's punched things and he's he's caught the crosses and he's relieved pressure that way. I think that's been an important thing. He's made good saves. Yesterday wasn't great. Uh, but I think, yeah, the, you can't ignore the fact that he's 35, 36 now. It's just impossible to ignore mm-hmm. that. You've got to start looking for the future, which is, you know, we go back to the Wojciech Szczesny thing. That's a, that's a, a, a discussion we could, we could have or have had in the past. I think there is a very real need for Arsenal to identify uh, a long-term solution for the goalkeeping position. Um, you could make that point about a number of uh, positions on the pitch. Actually, you look at centre-half and there's probably a need to future-proof there. Uh, central midfield, uh, you know, but... I don't think Czech has been a big problem or, or anything like it this season. Um, and certainly if uh, if the option is Czech or Ospina, I'll always pick Czech. Um, but yeah, we, we've got to think about it going forward, that's for sure. Um, but I'm, yeah, again, I don't yeah. want to delve too much into what anybody's doing behind the scenes because we just don't know. No, we don't. But it, it is a big question mark uh, for next season. But I think Czech's largely done well in this campaign. Mm. Um, speaking of how we deal with the situation in the future, Alan Moore on Facebook uh, asks, if we see more of the same performances like yesterday between Alexis Ozil and Lacazette, do we still potentially sell Alexis and Ozil in January? Thanks. You're welcome. Um, I don't think... <laughs> I, I don't think we could... I don't think we can sell them in January. I think that would no, be... No, I don't actually think it's realistic. Yeah. I don't think it's realistic for a couple of points of view, uh, a couple of reasons. One is that I don't think either of the players will be open to a move to January. Unless Man City come in big and heavy for Sanchez, uh, I just don't see him going anywhere in January. 
Uh, they can both wait till June and use you know use the the Bosman ruling. They can go where they want. They can get the signing on fee and everything else. The other reason is just very simple: is that if you lose two players of that quality in January, a it's really difficult to replace them. I know we're getting some money in. It might make it, you know, more financially viable to to bring in players. But can you get the players that you want in January? Uh, you know, I just don't see the benefit of selling them unless we're completely going to write this season off. Unless we just say this season, no, this is it. We've got to get the money for them. And then in the summer, we can use that money to bring in players who can, uh, you know, try and replace the qualities that they have. But that seems very defeatist to me. Maybe it will depend on where we are on the table. But even so, you know, we've got Europa League to play for. And, you know, if 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 the parting gift of Mesut Ozil and Alexis Sanchez is helping Arsenal to win a European trophy for the first time since 1994, I would much rather that than a few million quid in the bank in January and then, you know, whatever we do in the in the transfer market. So I just don't see it happening. Yeah. And bear in mind as well that, you know, winning the Europa League or indeed finishing in the top four would give us Champions League football. And is that going to bring in as much revenue as selling these players? You know, potentially it is. So yeah. I think I think uh, the only way I could see them going is, as you say, if the season was a write-off. If we were completely out of contention for the top four, say, by the time January rolled around, maybe they would think, OK, let's take that money. Maybe we won't even use it in January, but we kind of keep our powder dry until the summer, make sure we have some ammunition for the transfer market come next summer. But I, I, I consider it, Highly unrealistic. Yeah. Highly unrealistic. I think it would it would take an absurd offer for one of those players, given the, their contractual situations. It would take City, I think, to come in with something not dissimilar to what they were offering in the in in the summer for us to consider selling Alexis, given that what it would do to our season. Yeah, I stage. mean, I think if you are going to if you're going to make that decision, you make it in the summer. That if you commit to keeping those players, knowing that there's a, a distinct possibility they could leave in, in June for free, that's that's what you've decided. You've accepted that. Not to just sell them in January, because that it's like shooting yourself in the foot in the middle of the season. I don't uh I don't see any reason for it uh, whatsoever, unless unless, you know, you sell Sanchez I like fucking sell Sanchez to Manchester City in January. I mean you might as well just gift wrap the fucking title for them. I mean they don't need him anyway. If you look at the way they're playing at I this mean, moment. They'll probably have the title <laughs> under yeah. wraps by then anyway. Yeah, the way it's going. Yeah, but I don't I don't uh, see I don't see any uh, reason to, to sell them in January. There's no justification for it for me. You know, we made we made the call. We said we're not gonna sell them we're going to keep them until the end of their contracts. They're expected to see out their contracts. Whether it was the right thing or the wrong thing to do, you know, we'll know at the end of the season. But we've made that commitment to that decision. I think we should stick with it. Mm. Okay. Mm. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm inclined to agree. All right. We've got one here from On Modra Schnokta, which is Irish for the snow dog. Um, and he is at Ulysses Dublin and he says, did it seem that the players were getting a little snippy with each other yesterday? And might that be a good thing? Yeah. Funnily enough, my next question was going to be from Shaving Arshavin, who's at Christo 21497023 on Twitter. And he said, what's up with Sanchez and Ramsey? Looks (laughs) like they hate each other. Uh, Yeah. Well, look, I'll let you deal with it first. Go on. (laughs) 
Well, yeah, I mean, look, they were sniping each other. And I think those two, anyone who watches Arsenal regularly will have picked up on, uh, on, on those two in particular. There's no... There's no love lost out on the field, it seems, at times. And I feel like they're, they can both be quite individualistic players and I think they frustrate each other mm. on occasions with some of the choices they make. And they are players who do make frustrating choices. We feel that as fans. You know, Alexis sometimes will overcomplicate things and Ramsey's kind of guilty of the same. Um, I mean, what I will say is when Alexis scored the fifth goal, Aaron Ramsey was straight over to him. Yeah. They celebrated together. Um, I think that they're just quite... You know, we know what Alexis is like. He can lose his temper with anybody, anybody on the field. He could be playing with his mum or his brother. He'd probably, you know, yeah. lose his shit with them. Uh, and Ramsey, I think, to be honest, I like that element of Aaron Ramsey's personality. I think that, you know, it shows that he ha- has a degree of seniority in the side now and assumes a measure of responsibility. I think you go back and look at the great Arsenal teams. Yes, there was camaraderie there, but they were also prepared to ball each other out if need be. Think of Jens Lehmann, think of the Thierry Henry Scal. I think it's there in a lot of good teams. I don't particularly think it's anything to worry about and I don't think it matters if Aaron Ramsey and Alexis Sanchez are best friends or not. Look at, was it, uh, who was it at Manchester United? Was it Andy Cole and Teddy Sheringham? Yeah. Uh, there was some strike punch they had where they sort of famously never spoke off the field and they won a lot of things. Mm. So I don't think it's anything to particularly worry about. No, me too. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's a positive thing, you know. I think we've all played football with people who frustrate us. And, you know, you look at some of the, the incidents yesterday, um, you could see Ramsey going mad at Alexis at one point, Alexis going mad at Ramsey, Ramsey going mad at Bellerin. You know, he was looking for a particular pass at one point and it didn't happen. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think we've all played football with people who frustrate us on the pitch and who you might have words with, but the only reason you're having those words is because you want things to be better. You want to improve things. It's not necessarily personal. You know, you, the minute you come off the pitch, you can be quite fine with them. And you're right to say that uh, Ramsey and Alexis, they celebrated together. There's nothing wrong with confrontation in a team. You can't, on one hand, complain about our players being too nice and then get worried about them having a, a little go at each other. Uh, on the pitch. I mean, mm. why shouldn't you have a go at your teammate? You know, it's not like, it's like it's not personal. It's not anything other than wanting the best for the team or even for yourself in a particular situation. And, you know, if you're willing uh, to dish it out, then you've got to be willing to take it a bit as well. I didn't see that there was any problem there. There was nobody sort of, you know, getting their knickers in a twist about how dare you speak to me like that. And you're right, in the past there have been uh, players and there have been incidents and they've all had a go at each other and they've been successful. Like Lauren and Vieira had a massive fight on a team bus one night. I can't remember the exact details. Could have been a European game and they like Lauren got on the bus and just fucking decked Vieira. I can't remember the you know exactly what happened, but you know those things happen. Those things happen in teams that have a drive to win. And if we've got players who are willing to to have a go at each other rather than just accept. You know, oh, well, there he did what he did. Fuck that. You know, I'd rather them have a go at each other on the pitch. I'm I'm all right with it. I've got no problem with that at all. You know, once it doesn't get ridiculous, um, and I don't think it would, I just think that you've got two players who are desperate to make an impact in the game. Absolutely. You could see it with Alexis yesterday when he, when he missed that diving header. You know, he lay on the ground for best part of 10, 15 seconds because he was so fucking yeah. pissed off. And then he got up and he was like, oh, fucking, God damn it. you know. So, uh, yeah, it's no, it's no problem for me. No problem. No, 
I'm inclined to agree. Um, one more? Yeah, why not? Okay, this is from Peter Host and on Twitter. And Peter says, I'll be at the AGM on Thursday. Which question should I ask? Um, should I ask which question should I ask? <laughs> I mean, is there a list or should we just make one up for him? Well, there is a list of sorts. Have you seen um, the AST's proposed list of questions uh, that they've submitted? Yeah, I saw saw the link during the rounds, but I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. Uh, like, yeah, if you I wanted, mean, there's some interesting uh, ones on there. I'm trying to think what would be the. Your, go on. Well, I, there's one of the questions they've asked that I think is a great question. Whether or not it will actually be asked at the AGM, I somewhat doubt. But they phrased it as, Arsene Wenger himself admitted that the uncertainty around his contract situation was highly disruptive to the team's end-of-season performances. What has the board learnt from the way this was handled? And will a decision on the manager's future be taken any earlier than May 2019 in a bid to avoid more confusion? Yeah, that's a good question, all right. That is a good question. <laughs> um, you know, I, I would like to ask something about what the club are doing to to prepare for life without Arsene Wenger? What are they doing to replace Dick Law? Because regardless of what you think of Dick Law, there, there's a real need to fill that gap, as we've spoken about. Mm. And, you know, who are going to, who's going to make these decisions? Who are the people that are going to make these decisions for the benefit of the football club and, uh, you know, for the future of the football club? Um, so, yeah, I mean... I mean, you know, there are other things, you know, the temptation is to ask a question about the intentions of the owner, but I fear it's almost pointless. We kind of know what the owner's position is and what the owner's priorities are. And anything that they trot out as a response to that, you know, it's not really going to fly with the fans, is it? No, I mean, look, you could make any, you know, we could sit here and we could write, you know, uh, the the exact response you get from Stan Kroenke. All you have to do is mm. say, we want to win. We're committed to winning. Our philosophy is about winning. We, we you know, we, we absolutely want Arsenal to be the best. We, you know, all the stuff that we've heard, for example, Ivan Gazeta say when he has those meetings with fans, you know, he says mm. all the right things. So it's not really about what the club says it's going to do. It's about what the club is going to do and how it, how it does it, you know? So... I'm not sure what joy you can get from a question, particularly when it's been pre-submitted, that you know they're going to be able to answer in a in a, uh, a clever, erudite, uh, efficient way where they can say all the right things and then they don't have to face anybody for another 12 months um, if they don't do them, you know? So, yeah. It's yeah. a bit of a charade, unfortunately, the whole thing. Um, but, you know, I do hope some searching questions are asked. Wouldn't it be lovely if the club actually gave us some <laughs> some forthright, encouraging, uh, honest answers? Um, I'm not holding my hopes out, though. Yes, yes, I, I agree. All right, listen, I've got a couple for uh, just to finish. Um, Go on. Bear with me here. All right, the first one comes from uh, Cal, who's at Gunnar Cal, and he wants to know this. He says... Why did James have a penis drawn on his forehead outside the old Vic last Thursday? Or was it someone that just looked like him? <laughs> it, yeah, that was me. <laughs> well, okay. Why did you have a penis drawn on your forehead? Oh, dear. I was... Uh... Can you get away with nothing? Nothing. 
I know, that's extraordinary. I was filming uh, something which required me to have a penis drawn on my forehead in lipstick. And, I, and, and, I, and it was filmed in the street and I, a couple of people walked past and I did see people, I was on the phone to my wife and I was explaining, I was saying, I've got this penis drawn on my forehead, people keep staring at me. <laughs> and uh, literally, like, you know, people would just walk past, do the double take. I mean, I guess you would, it's fair enough. Mm. I, I, especially because I seemed in good spirits. They probably thought it looks like something traumatic's happened to this man. Or he's, but that, he seems in a good mood. Maybe he's done it on purpose. Anyway, um, the fact that someone who saw me <laughs> recognised me makes me feel much worse about the whole thing. Um, but there you go. Hopefully it will prove worthwhile. Let, let me ask you this, and this is, this mm. is the key question here. Mm. Did you draw the penis on your own forehead or was the penis drawn on your forehead by somebody else? And were you happy with the penis that was drawn on your forehead? Well, it was drawn on my forehead by somebody else. Okay. I mean, there's plenty of room. It's quite the canvas. <laughs> uh, yes, that takes us to our uh, next question, but keep going. Yes, um, although I don't think it's necessarily supposed to be my penis. I think it's just kind of an abstract representation of, you know, the hieroglyph for penis. Um, but was I happy with it? I mean, anatomically, I think there were question marks. I think there were some, you know, dimensional inaccuracies to this penis, but it's difficult, <laughs> you know. You, my, I kept moving my head. You know, they're using lipstick, not a pen. Mm. I, I can't be too critical. They gave it their best shot. Okay. And, it, you know, you know, it, it's it's hard. It's hard. It, my, he, my head is not a room, but it is curved. Yeah, the, <laughs> no, the penis was hard in the picture, yeah, but that's not the point. My head is curved, and that can that can make it tricky. Okay. All right. You know? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, look, it's... I'll show you. I'll, when I see you next, I'll show you. I'll, get, I'll bring some lipstick and I'll show you. Okay, cool. We can have. We can all take turns drawing penises uh, on your forehead at the next live <laughs> Arscast Extra. Okay, great. Okay, well, the final question then today comes from Ben F. And he th I think this is directed at me. He said, if you had the power to give James new hair, but only from an Arsenal player, past or present, whose would it be? I've been thinking about this one. Oh, yeah, go on. I mean, listen. Well, I mean, there are, I would love new hair. Yeah, I'd be so excited. Well, look, you know, so, I, th I think we should remind people that you did, uh, you did have Ray Parler's hair. Yes, I did. It was, you know, I, I wish it was more like David Luiz, but in truth, it was more like Ray Parler. This is correct. Yes, and the, you know, there have been some hairstyles down the years that, uh, you know, that that have been memorable. I mean, you could think of. Let me see. Bakary Sanya. I couldn't really see you with, with Bakary Sanya's hair. No, I don't think I could pull that off. Alan Sunderland, kind of yes, a I kind of an afro. Yeah, that'd be a strong look for me. That'd be a good one. Who else was there? Who else could we? Uh, there was Alex Song's white dreads at one stage, didn't he have? Yeah, his bleached the bleached hair. Um, Javinia. Oh my God. <laughs> That would be amazing, actually. But it wasn't Gervinho that I picked. I picked somebody who I thought would, would suit you really well and, you know, you could have no real complaints about the the uh, the hair. Um, uh, a young man who joined the football club not long before the Invincible season had to uh, retire early with a knee injury. Mm. Um, I'm just going to send you through a little... Uh, can I send it? I'll DM it to you, will I? 
Yeah, okay. Okay, I'm here is it's going for the grand reveal. Okay. And uh, to those to of me. you to those of you uh who are listening the player I've chosen. <laughs> oh, it's still loading. It's still loading. I'm Oh wow! What a what a look that is. That would be an amazing look for you. Uh, the the hair in question is Danny Carbassioun. Uh, when he first joined the club, he had he had on a. I think the only way or the way we used to describe this haircut when we were kids was a bowler, because it looks like someone just put a bowl around your head and, and did the haircut. Yeah, I mean it's. I, I think you know it's, he's got bangs, as they would say in America. It's a fringe, isn't it? I mean, it, there's two Irish kids on the X Factor this year, which I confess oh, yeah? I have actually watched quite a lot of, and they have the same haircut where it's like a bowl, but it's like their fringe is sort of hanging down. It almost meets the eyebrows. Yes, <laughs> it's uh, it's a it's a strong look, and uh, I listen. The, I don't know about the quality of this hair, but the quantity of it certainly appeals to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Beggars and choosers and all that, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know. I'll take it and then maybe I can do something with it down the line. But um, I don't know if, you know, if Danny's, I don't know how he feels about his hair these days. Um, if he's still got some going spare, just put it in an envelope to me and I'll use some Pritt stick, apply it to my head. I mean, I'll t- like, as you say, I'll take what I can get. Yeah. All right. Well, Danny, if you're listening, uh, you know, get in touch. We'll give you James's uh, address and you can uh, re-follicle his head um, and hopefully cover, up, hopefully cover up that uh, that great big penis on his forehead as well. So there you go. <laughs> Did you see um, at, uh, at, at Noz, who's at Bearded Genius on Twitter, uh, excellent football writer among other things kept talking for long enough about getting a hair transplant on Twitter and eventually a a company gave him one for free what? how did I miss that? yeah 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 wow oh it was a huge thing they were like he kept saying you know if they said if so many people retweet this tweet we will give him the 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 procedure and he's I believe he's had it done really? wow there is hope there is hope for me yeah I'm I'm at the point where I just would say fuck it now I'll wear a hat. I think I'm. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm buying a lot of hats these days. To be fair, yeah, yeah. yeah I've got quite the collection it's growing. Probably a you cheaper. You want to just send me a hat, guys? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cheaper and less painful option than having like hair stitched into your scalp. Um, yeah, no thanks. It is scary. Mm. It is scary. All right. Well, look. Um, Thank you, as ever, everyone, for listening. Hope you've had a, a goodly morning, goodly afternoon, or goodly evening, whenever it is you've had a chance to listen to this. Uh, we will be back next Monday. We'll organise uh, a recording time that suits everyone. As I said, Friday's podcast, I'm not quite sure about yet, but I will do my best to get something to you for the for the Swansea game from, uh, from Melbourne. Um, so uh, thanks, as ever. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.